So new year, new series, and uh, we're going to be looking into the letter to the Philippians over the next little while. It's four chapters long, so I estimate it'll take us about eight, nine weeks to cover it. Um, And we're starting, surprise, surprise, in chapter one and uh, verse one. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. May God open his word to our hearts. So how was Christmas? Did you have a good time? Did you? What was the best part of the celebration? Now for the kids, it's often the gifts, maybe. Did you get a gift that you loved? Anybody who got a gift that they loved? I'll get you to raise hands. It was a really small crowd in the early service, so I didn't do that. Yeah, okay. Now, I, I, I saw a, a video of a musician I really like a little while ago, uh, like just before Christmas, and he was kind of challenging people going, I don't think you should like do gifts by, by making the lists. He said, it's kind of a lazy way to do it if, if everybody gives you a list and then you just buy the stuff on the list. He said his parents used to, when he was growing up, say, the sure way to know that you won't get something for Christmas is put it on a list and give it to us. And so his, his challenge was, if you really know your loved ones and you really love them, you'll be able to come up with some creative idea that'll surprise them and that they love. And I, I was a little challenged by that, but part of me goes, that's a big risk, right? Like it's, maybe there's a big reward, but maybe it's just a really big risk. Because you don't always know, you might think, I think they would really love this. But if they haven't told you, they haven't put it on a list, some of us, even the thought of doing that would panic us, right? Other people are like, no, we do it like that all the time. And I know some of the gifts that I've been the most proud of, It's getting dark in here. Uh, Some of those gifts that I've been most proud of that I've gotten for Roxanne are the ones where I surprised her, where I picked something, and because I know her so well, I got it just right, and I gave her something she loved. Or if she was faking it, she's really good at faking it. And it, it was like, it heightened it. But I do operate most of the time from a list, and I asked her this year, and she didn't give me a whole lot to go on, so I had to go out on a limb and 
and pick for myself. But that can be risky, right? Because you want to know that you love them. You want them to get something they really enjoy. But yeah, there is something special about buying something that's a surprise and showing not just that I love you enough to buy this for you, but I love you enough that I know what you like, right? And so there's kind of this special element to it. But Christmas is a time when it's like, if we talk about our favorite things, maybe some of the kids would say toys. Some of us, you know, it's like, hey, there's like the toys and the presents and the food and the people and the food. And, you know, it's just the whole thing, right? The whole experience of being together and doing those things. Some of the things that you do every year, the same and other things. It's like maybe we're just going to do that this year. Somebody had a really great idea and you're going to do that. But there's rituals that you do the same every year. For us, one of the things I always have to get Roxanne is when I'm packing her stocking is a Terry's chocolate orange. And so she loves those things. So I, I think, all right, I'll go get one. But some years I've left it a little late. Have you ever done that? And you go into the store and you're looking for a Terry's chocolate orange or something like that. And you're like, oh no, I'm going to have to settle for regular chocolate because they're nowhere. Like times when I panicked and I thought if I could find somebody and give them like 20 bucks for a Terry's chocolate orange, I need an orange. I should have got it earlier. I should have gone into the store, but I, I, I was thinking about the presents, forgot about the stocking. Now I'm messed up. Now I got to go and apologize on Christmas morning like there's no chocolate orange because she loves them. And there may be other things, you know, that you got where it's like, ah, if my, if my grandma makes her pecan pie, like, oh, or lemon meringue or whatever your favorite pie is. And, you know, it's a pie. It's a dessert. It's something that shows love because it's something you're really into. You might have noticed uh, and I think for a lot of us, you know, once we start to grow up, it's not just sentiment when we say, well, you know, the presents are nice, the, the food's good, all of that stuff's really fun, but really it's about the people you're with, right? Like we all saw the Grinch, you know, holding hands, singing Bahu Dori. The Grinch, that, that cartoon got it. Because it's the people you're with, and you love people more than you love stuff, hopefully, right? And even more than you love the food. So we say things like that, and it's not just at Christmas. We'll go, I really love my hobby. I really love camping. I really love hockey. I really love pie. I really love pie. And so we talk like that about all kinds of stuff. And Christmas is a time when, especially because we're going to be giving gifts and we're going to be making food, we go, I want to make the stuff that people love. I want to buy the things that they'll love. I want to give them a present that'll mean something to them that they'll love. But really, it's not even about the present. It's about the fact that they will know how, how thoughtful I was because I love them. And so it's about the person. And the gift is just a representative, representation of the love, right? Well, you probably picked up, if you're paying attention, to this letter to the Philippians that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's got some affection for them. Like Paul, typically the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament, he'd gone on a lot of missionary journeys where he'd go to town, and he'd go to a synagogue, and he'd tell them about Jesus, and if they didn't listen, he'd go somewhere else. You know, there's, 
in, uh, in one church, it's like he, he basically ended up out on the outskirts of town where a bunch of women used to hang out at the river, and he told them about Jesus, and they started a church there, and then it grew. And so when it comes to these churches, some of them he's writing, and he didn't start the church. He's just gotten to know them, or he's heard about them, and he writes them a letter. But a lot of them are churches that he started, and he started them off kind of from scratch. Like, there's nobody there. He comes to town. He works making tents to make a living, and on the side, every chance he gets, he talks to somebody about Jesus, tries to tell them how great he is. And so he starts a church, and maybe it's just a couple of people at first, and then it'll kind of grow, and then he moves on to another town to do that again, but he writes back to them, and, and Philippi is a letter that he writes, and uh, you might have picked up a little clue in there, that he's writing them from prison. So at this point, he's had all these adventures, he's taken off places, he's been shipwrecked and, and, and you know, left for dead, stoned and left for dead sometimes, and uh, he's like just constantly doing this, and, and so he gets himself in trouble sometimes, and, and this t- particular time, he's in jail for preaching about Jesus, but he's got in mind this church in Philippi, and so he writes them, and as he starts off his letter, you know, as soon as he's given his greetings, he gets into the the meat of things, and he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. Every time you guys cross my mind, I'm like, I'm just so thankful to God that I know these people. Like, these people... Every time I think of them, I give thanks. And whenever I'm praying, like I'm doing it with a smile on my face. The whole time I'm smiling because I've got joy that these people are people that I know. That these are the kind of people that they are. And so he says, this is what happens. Whenever I'm thinking about you guys, I I give thanks. Whenever I pray for you, I, I, I do it with joy. And then later he says, so it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God. You got a special place in my heart, you know, you share with me the special favor of God. Like, like when, when we're together, I know God loves both of us. Like he's happy with us and we feel that he's happy with us. And then he also says, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it's like to be them in this letter? Paul opens by calling you God's holy people. Or some translations, it's, it's saints. Right? Can you imagine that? You're sitting here and, and somebody brings a letter and says, we got a letter for Whitewater Wesleyan from somebody you know who started this church, like Pastor Lloyd. And, and, and he's saying... You know, dear saints in Whitewater, you know, who are you talking to? Like, seriously. So he calls them saints, and he's, he's beaming. He's calling them God's holy people, and, and, and he prays for them with a smile on his face. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. You have a special place in my heart. God knows how much I love you and long for you. Like, I wish I was there with you guys. Like, God has given me this love for you, and, and we're close. And, uh, you know, it makes me happy even thinking about you guys. And so why does Paul have such an affection for him? What, what, what is it that he's talking about that, uh, 
he gets excited about. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. He says, I love you guys. I love the fact that uh, you are who you are. And what I really get excited about is you guys are partnering with me in, in the gospel. Like, I feel like when I'm with you, we're all on the same team and we're doing this together. I know what that feels like as a, as a pastor because I've served churches where there are people who pitch in and help out and get involved and they do it in such a way that, you know, in small churches, you can end up doing a lot of stuff as a pastor. Like you're shoveling the front walkway and you're doing all the little tasks that nobody wants to do because there's only a few people. And, and you kind of got to be jack of all trades. And to be in a church where there's people, not just lots of people, but people who pitch in and are involved in the mission of the church. That's pretty exciting. In our church, uh, I, I'm excited to be at this church in particular because there's all kinds of people who get involved in ministry. So there's hope baskets and encouragement baskets that uh, people prepare and members of this church kind of prepare and, and bring to people who are struggling with issues or, or women who have lost a child. Um, and so they're grieving and, and they're feeling out of sorts. And, and they just do that because they want to, partner with us in sharing God's love and so they do it in practical ways like that there are women who make quilts and 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 sew and knit and do those kind of things and they get involved in you know uh, providing those to people who are cancer patients or uh, older folks in in homes or someone who's going through a hard time and, and so they do stuff to support people in the community and, and then we've just most recent, and we've got people who help with Sunday school and people who help, you know, the worship happen and a whole slew of musicians. So we got four or five teams of musicians that, that kind of prep and practice and get ready and, and, and do this on Sunday morning and, and sound techs and people behind, working on the screens on the computer and, and all kinds of people who prep things during the week and, and people who pitch in in all kinds of ways to make the work of the church happen. And one of the new things that I'm excited about is our connect groups. And, you know, at the beginning, I kind of pitched it. I said, like, just come, we're going to eat, and we're going to hang out. And so we did that in, like, five communities, in Renfrew and Eganville and, and Beechburg and uh, Forrester Falls and Cobden. And we did a group in each one of those. And I kind of pitched them the idea, we'll do this every month, and we'll just eat, and we'll hang out and support each other. And then, you know, the second time we meet, there might be a short talk. And then the third time we meet... Uh, we'll uh, do a mission project. And so we were looking for a project, something we could do to serve somebody outside of, the, or outside of the church, either a group or an individual, and we would try to come up with a project once every three months, so four times a year, right? And we're going to get out into the community or do something for somebody, you know, if they've had a fire or if they're, uh, you know, struggling in, in any way. And what ended up happening is every group met and they talked about what they could do and pooled ideas and they were supposed to pick one and a couple of, peop couple of groups because they're really not good at taking instructions. They, they had four ideas and they decided, well, let's just do them all. So there were groups that got out of control. I don't know what they're going to do next time it comes around if, if they've run out of all their ideas. But, but this time it went nuts. Like they, one group uh, did like... Uh, 
gathered uh, warm clothes for the homeless and toiletry kits, and uh, they just got as much stuff as they could. And if you weren't part of that group, but you donated from the church, like, thank you. And, and so we were able to send a group there, and they met with people, and they were so excited to hand out. They had a lineup of people coming in who were uh, living, you know, in the park and, uh, and didn't have warm clothes and were kind of dreading winter, and we provided them with stuff so that they could stay warm. And we looked after them in, in a practical way and showed them the love of God. So nobody preached at them, but we showed them what Jesus is about. And then there were groups that uh, provided uh, baking and, and treats for old folks' homes and did things like that. We had one, uh, one of our groups went and uh, did caroling. I don't know, maybe that's even braver than gathering stuff because we gathered around the windows of Crescent Care and we sang Christmas carols with the residents inside the home. And at first they just kind of sat there looking at us and they gradually started singing. Some of them who've got memory issues that don't remember much about their lives, they were singing Christmas carols with us because those things were still locked in. And it was a beautiful thing. And so all these projects happened. And, and like our, our women on a mission that do the quilting and, and all that stuff, uh, the group that brought stuff for the homeless, they, they said, hey, can you help us out maybe knit some mittens? And they said, well, we can do better knit mittens. So they made, uh, they made fleece mittens. They sewed them together in several layers, and they were fancy, and they were super warm, and, and they made the mittens to go with the coats and stuff that we bought or, uh, or got donated and, and provided even more. So there were all these projects that got out of control. There was a family where the dad had passed away, and we were able to help them out with a bunch of stuff for Christmas. And, and when it was delivered, they're looking at us going, like, why are you doing this? Which, you know, was an easy answer, right? We're doing this because we go to Whitewater Wesleyan Church, and this is the kind of stuff we do. God loves us, and we just wanted to do something for you. And so there's all this stuff that we're doing in our community to show the love of God and hopefully get the opportunity to tell them about how great Jesus is. And so we do all that and we serve in that way and we show God's love and that is our partnership together in the gospel. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying the people in this church are pitching in. They're not like leaving it all to Paul to talk to people about Jesus and do the work of the church. They're all involved in that one singular mission of making sure everybody gets to hear about Jesus. And so Paul says, look, that's what makes me so happy when I think about you guys. Like, you're, you're bought in. You're behind us. You're working with us. And so he calls them partners. That's what they're already doing, and that's what gives him joy in thinking about them. And so... As we go through the rest of the letter, you'll notice all kinds of examples of what Paul's talking about in their partnership with him. But uh, before we get there, I just want you to notice that in this passage, um, as he's talking about this, he also has this prayer for them that goes beyond what they're doing now. He says, like, and, and I, was, I was talking to Pastor Daryl this, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago when I was talking about what I was going to preach in the new year. And he, when he found out I was preaching Philippians, he said, oh, the happy letter. And it's like, 
Well, yeah, that's true, because if you read Galatians, Paul's a little angry, right? Like, he's upset about something, and he gets right down to business. But in Philippians, he starts off with all this love talk and how great it is with them and how good they're doing. Because not every church is doing the same, but, but in all the letters, there's some instruction for, like, how we do this. And so uh, Paul goes on to say, he writes, I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. He says, I pray for your love for each other and that it will grow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. And the NIV, it says, I, I, I pray that your, your love will abound in knowledge and depth of insight. So they tie it even closer, and that's a little closer to the original language. Paul isn't saying, I pray that you, like, you'll grow in love, and also you know, you'll grow in knowledge and insight. Like You'll get smarter, but you'll also love better, and those are like two separate things on a list. He's saying, I, I pray that your love will grow in knowledge and depth of insight. He's saying, I pray that you'll love smarter. See, I think Paul lived in the real world we live in, and maybe it's innocuous enough to say, you know, I I really love Terry's chocolate orange, or I really love pie, or I really love hockey. And when we say that, we don't mean, oh, I love pie, and I love my wife, and that's the same thing, like in the same level. I really hope you don't love pie as much as you love your husband or wife, that'd be a bad thing, right? But we say it because, you know, it's got some of our affection and we know, we all know, that's not what I meant when I said that. But there are other areas where sometimes we can start to love, we can start to be attracted to, we can start to be passionate about things that we give our time and our energy that really aren't worth our time and our energy. And sometimes we love the wrong things or we love in the wrong amount for the wrong thing. And sometimes our relationship with stuff or our relationship with certain experiences or our relationship with other people, we realize at some point we look back on and go, it was dumb for me to love that or to love that person in that way. Like relationships we get into where you're like, that was a mistake, right? And Paul goes, I, I, I don't want you to just love. It's not just, you know, that's my feelings and, and this is my brain. He's like, use your brain when you're loving. Like, like, know what you're loving and how you're loving and how you're spending the passion of your love and let it be pointed in the right direction. And he, so he says, you're doing really great, but I... I just pray you get smarter and smarter in loving. It's all about love for Jesus. And it's all about love for Paul. Like love God and love your neighbor. But he goes, you got to do it the right way. you got to understand. you got to pay attention sometimes to make sure other th- priorities and other things aren't kind of distracting you and pointing you in directions you really shouldn't be going. He says, I pray that you'll just grow and grow and grow and grow smarter about how you love and what you love. And then he goes on to say, he explains, for I want you to understand what really matters. 
so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. He says, I want you to understand what really matters. Like, I want you to get smarter about this stuff. I want you to understand what's important to love and how it's important to love because I want you to understand what matters so you know what doesn't matter. So you can focus on the right things so that you can live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. And he says, here's what it means to be blameless. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. He's not saying we do stuff to earn God's favor, like so that he'll like us or so that he'll love us. Like we don't earn his love by what we do. But he says, once you've been loved by Jesus and once you've received salvation from him, the natural outflow of that is that your life starts to take on new meaning. He says, I want you to grow smarter and smarter in the way that you love. Because you've got this salvation that is working its way into your life and taking over. And so that you'll have more fruit in your life of, of, of what he's doing to give you this pure and blameless life. And he says, then you're going to bring much glory and praise to God. Like people around are going to see it and they're going to praise God. They're, you're going to bring glory to him because they will see him at work in you. He says, look, you guys are doing great, but you, man, I just want us to just keep getting better and better at this. So that our love grows. And it's not just frivolous love about anything or anyone, but it's like focused. And it's deep. So that it'll spread. And so that they can partner with him in the gospel in that way. It can be easy to be distracted by a million different things and a million different priorities. And sometimes our list of what we think we should do or can do gets so long. And it's hard to thin it out. And it's hard to decide what to get to first. And Paul says, look, if we grow and we get smarter about this, if we get deeper in our understanding of who God is, it'll make it easier to thin out that list and to know what we should do and what we shouldn't do, what we should love and what we shouldn't love, what we should spend our time and our energy and our passion on, and what might just be a distraction. And so he puts things in priority so we can know what should come first and what should come last and what shouldn't come at all.